podcast has bad words. <laughs> Hello, patrons. Hello, true fans. This is Ask the Minimalists Anything, number 25. We're here with Jason Zook, author of Own Your Weird. And since we just recorded a podcast with him, we figured we'd, we'd keep him around a little bit longer and have him answer your questions yeah, thanks with for us. Thanks around, man. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. So our first question uh, that was sent in by our true fans on Patreon this is uh, it's the tier that we have. It's uh, you know Kevin Keller's I, yeah, thousand yeah, yeah, yeah. true fan thing. Yeah. So we have a yeah. thousand true fan on this uh, the 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 upper echelon of our Patreon, and and they get uh, not only a video version of our Patreon stuff, but they, they get the monthly Ask the Minimalists anything. And the first question is from Connor Boyd. Connor says, "What are some things you do to slow down when you feel stressed or overwhelmed?" Mm. <clears throat> I'd say the one thing I do all the time because I find I have I have an issue with anxiety, which by the way, the reason why I like the true fans here is because it's like it's it's not even the full Patreon audience, so I can really kind of get a little more personal with it, mm. you know, a little bit more freestyle. He's but, not even wearing pants right now. <laughs> no, that's, I, I, I got that. I saw that. <laughs> so, so I get anxiety all the time, and uh, I to the point where I start to get that feeling in my chest. Um, start to get the pit in my stomach and then I start to look for things hmm. like oh I'm anxious right now so I there's something I should be anxious about then I start to search for things as soon as I catch myself like searching for things to be anxious about like I really will sit there and just do some like deep breaths and who taught me that was uh, Wim Hof the mm-hmm. the Iceman <laughs> the Iceman yeah yeah no it, it's it's uh, what was that what was that podcast called? Breathe, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> you did a awesome. video with him. It was a living room conversation. Yeah, but like that actually, when we were doing that uh, video with him, and he was walking us through that breathing exercise, I realized how quickly, like, it calmed me down. Yes, like, put a link to that, Sean. Uh, literally, and it was called it was called Breathe, motherfucker, because that was his, hit that, that like that was his only instruction. Yeah. Like, just breathe, motherfucker. Yeah, like, they always say, breathe, motherfucker. Like yeah. he, he just kept saying it. And, it was great. Uh, um. Yeah, I, I find that helps. I mean, I also find that sometimes we were talking about this on the podcast we just recorded, but sometimes the stress is a sign of an actual problem yeah. that maybe we need to address. Maybe, maybe we're, if we're stressed out by our material possessions, it's because we have too many, or we've put maybe we don't have too many. We've just put too much emphasis on it. Maybe we've made it too much of a priority. Maybe we've placed too much value in those things, and they're not actually bringing us the value we thought they they initially would. Jason, what do you what do you do when uh, when you're stressed out? Yeah. And by the way, uh, your wife's been dealing with some anxiety. And yeah. what, what's she doing? My wife has been through all the things. Uh, I'll actually give a shameless plug to my wife's Instagram account because she has shared her anxiety journey these past couple months. So if anybody is really feeling like you're in it, at C Kelso, C-K-E-L-S-O. Um, tons of really good things that she's done. I mean, she's literally tried everything. Uh, but for us, I think one of the biggest things when it, we get to stress is getting out in nature. So actually, you know, we don't even live in like a super nature area, but just getting outside and going for a walk, walking down to a park. Uh, we live within walking distance to a beach and reconnecting with nature, leaving your phone at home, not having any distractions. Man, it recenters us. And we really do feel like that weight gets lifted. It doesn't solve your problems per se, but for us, it really does help when we feel like, okay, everything's getting up here. We're really over overstimulated. You get outside and you kind of decompress. There's also a beautiful thing that happens where your mind can stop crunching all of the numbers and all of the things and all of the data points. And it goes, oh, and you get a little bit of clarity. And there's something that happens when you come back and you go, 
oh, I know how to fix this thing that we were dealing with, or I know how to stop doing this thing that we ran into that was giving us a bunch of extra stress. And it's because your mind has had space to figure it out. And mm. that to me is, it's been one of the best things that we've done for years is just every day we have an intentional walk. We take at 5 p.m. with our dog and we have done it for, I think nine years now, and I, almost every single day straight. And it's such a great way for us to do that. But even when we're feeling stressed, we'll go, okay, time to go for a walk. Mm. Let's go to the coffee shop, let's go to the beach, do something, but get outside, get away from our devices and just take a break. I can tell you yeah. one thing that's really helped me is I think when we ruminate, we're often we're often create we're catastrophizing, and, and, and is that the word catastrophe? I'll allow it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Survey says. Anyway, uh, we're we're creating a catastrophe out of out of all these things, and we're, we're essentially asking what's the worst thing that could happen, mm-hmm. and then we're populating our mind with the worst thing that could happen. And I found that that could be helpful because uh, if if you're going to do something. Thinking about what's the worst thing that could happen, like if I'm going to uh, go skydiving, yeah, the, the worst thing that could happen is I might die. Is that wor- is that worth the thrill to me? And for me personally, the answer to that is no. Also, my my life insurance policy would be voided, and that would not be good for my family. <coughs> and so I I find that um, if that's the worst thing that could happen, maybe it could actually talk me out of it. But also, the more important question to ask in tandem with that is what's the best thing that can happen. If if I make this change, uh, if I if I if I uh, change jobs, if I get rid of all of my stuff, if if I'm going to do something different, mm. what's the best thing that could happen? Because that's all of a sudden giving you that instead instead of creating a catastrophe, it's creating an ideal environment to strive toward. It doesn't mean you'll, it'll be perfect, but you're moving toward. Wow, what's the best thing that could happen? So maybe ask yourself, yeah, what's the worst thing that could happen? Because sometimes it's really, really bad. Death or homelessness or, or whatever. So yes, think carefully before quitting your job because you don't want to end up on the street. And so it's not just, well, what's the best thing that could happen? Well, I'll be free. Okay, maybe. But you have to weigh that against both. And I, I find that if you're stressed out, it's likely because we are creating all of the worst case scenarios without considering the best case scenarios. Then you also have some tools that Ryan and Jason just discussed as well. Benoit asks, when trying to implement a more minimalistic slash meaningful lifestyle with your significant other, what area would you approach or tackle first? Um, For example, finance, spending, objects, clothing, etc. Or do you just go all in? Uh, Definitely not the latter. Uh (laughs) I mean, trying to do everything at once. uh, Well, uh, it's never worked for me or anyone else I know. (laughs) Maybe it's worked for someone out there, but that's typically not the best approach. Yeah, I I find (laughs) that for for me is you, I think you want to start with areas of commonality where you actually agree. If you want to get some momentum, Mm -hmm. you start somewhere where you're like, okay, I know we both can get a, a, a grip on whatever it is. Maybe it's our closet. What are the easy areas? What are the simple wins that you can create early on? Because if you start with something as complex as finance, you, it may be really difficult to get on the same page. And it may actually stand in the way of all the potential future progress. Because if you start somewhere that's simple and you build up towards something that is more complex, something that's more difficult, then you have the momentum. Oh, we've been working together on all these things. We've had 12 wins and we've had several failures along the way as well. I think we can tackle this together now as well. With significant others, it's so much about over-communicating in my mind because I've seen this now with my wife. We've been together for 10 years. 
you run into these situations where you may have slightly different ideas about them, whether it's finances or whether it's about stuff in your house. And if you're not open and honest, it festers and it becomes a problem. And so if you really over communicate, we've just found that helps. And so what that means is actually sitting down and going, why do you need these things? Like, why do you need this? And, and do I have too much of it? And if I do, let's talk about that. And this is actually really contextual for, for me. This past week, my wife and I talked about creating a shopping budget. We'd created a shopping budget many years ago, but we hadn't talked about it in a long time that some stuff had been festering behind the scenes. And we really had to sit down and go, what's going on here? Like, what's the root of this? And what we discovered was, oh, we just are not in alignment with how we're thinking about this right now. And we don't have to have the same thoughts we did many years ago, as you guys talk about often. These things change, we adapt as people, we change. So I just think the communication constantly with this stuff, and and for that could be a weekly budget meeting. We do that on Fridays at 3 p.m. That's our time, we sit down, we talked about money. We continue to do that. We've done it for years. It helps. But even reconnecting on some of these other things, I think, is really helpful because it's not going to be a set it and forget it forever. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we touched on it uh, during the Patreon episode, but if you <clears throat> if you don't have your values, if you're not clear on what your values are, especially as a couple, then it's going to be very difficult to work on your finances, to work on uh, uh, decluttering, whatever it is. Um, you've you've got to build that foundation of understanding what each of you value. And from there, I think, is when you can start to tackle these more difficult things like finances. That's a big one. I mean, the two biggest things couples argue about is sex and money. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you if you aren't on the same page with what each other's values are, because the reason why that's important is for twofold. Like one, values help you make good decisions. Those are your, uh, Jason said it's a filter. Everything gets filtered through those. Uh, good decision-making is a very important skill. I think it's probably the most important skill to have in life is good decision-making and values help you get there. Um, but also you want to support your partner and to know what they value that, that, that is an indicator of what you should be supporting. So the way that you get support back is you support others. So yeah, uh, if you haven't sat down with your significant other and, uh, really dug down deep on what those core values are for each of you, I would, I would definitely have you start there. A couple of words that really helped me, uh, five of them actually, would you be willing to, um, not, not, Hey, here's what we need to do. Here's what you need to change. <laughs> would you be willing to sit down and have a weekly budget meeting with me? Um, cause what are they going to say if they care about you? No, <laughs> screw you. Yeah. I'm not going to talk. No, yeah, yeah. I guess I'd be willing to, to do that. Uh, look, I'm not asking you to change anything. I just want to, would you be willing to sit down and, and have this conversation? Uh, with me and if they care about you then the answer is is going to be yes and yeah you're going to have to have some difficult conversations but the more you over communicate the more you have those difficult conversations the less difficult they become cameron asks after reducing and removing things to the essentials in life did you find that your true passion revealed itself in any meaningful way um I reject the hypothesis of this question. <laughs> yeah, what is what is your true passion, Josh? Yeah, I, I, I don't have... I mean, the question presupposes that we're all born to, to do something, as though, like, you're born to be an astronaut or an accountant or a chef or you know, a, a carnival barker. Like, the, the truth is there are probably hundreds of things that you can be passionate about and any of them can be your quote true passion if you've decided to cultivate it into a passion i hope i never have one true passion (laughs) like i I mean seriously like to to think about i mean i guess like to to, in a broader sense like my true passion is to live a meaningful life 
but that includes a lot of different things. Yeah, and there's nothing there's that that lacks a, a specificity, right? right. I think that Cameron's looking for like, well, when you got rid of all your stuff, did you realize you wanted to be a yoga teacher? Right. Yeah, well, there's also something to be said for you're an extremely boring person if you only do one thing. Right. Like you need all the extra things to make you a full person. So what makes you guys so interesting? If you just talked about minimalism, no one would listen to this because after three episodes, we'd all be bored to tears. Right. And and I think for Cameron, uh, what I did find when I went through all the minimalism stuff that I went through in 2013 was after removing all of the stuff, it removed the mental weight. And so getting rid of the things freed up the mental space to go, oh, you know what? I actually want to build this thing for a business or I want to spend time doing this thing. Now I can actually see the space and the opportunity of that as opposed to just having all this clutter both mentally and physically around me. And that is where I think the true passion can be revealed when you get rid of everything is at least there's an opportunity to find other things. I, I like to say I made room to become obsessed about different things. Absolutely. To, to me, passion is one half love, one half obsession. It has to be a healthy balance of both because I think you can have an unhealthy amount of love of something, uh, but you can especially have an unhealthy amount of obsession. And, and if you're just obsessed about the thing, you, you start to lose the love of it. Uh, and, and vice versa, you can you can love certain things without being ob- obsessive enough to compulsively do it and drudge through the drudgery. Yeah, and, and, and I find that as as I made room for writing, I did become more obsessed with it. But then that also trans tra- transferred into other um, venues or other mediums. We we started podcasting. We we were blogging. We were writing books. We were going out on tour and. Um, I, I get relatively singularly focused more so than most people and, and really obsessed about a thing, but really all I was doing was making room for that obsession. Yeah. Cameron, I would, I would posit that maybe look at what you think passion is like, what is your definition of passion? True passion. I mean, even more so. Yeah. Cameron, I don't think you're ever going to find a true passion that's going to like set you free for the rest of your life. So is that what passion means to you, Cameron? Does passion mean something that you're going to find that you're going to wake up and you're going to do it and you're never going to work another day in your life? I mean, that is a very unrealistic expectation. I do what I love. I'm very passionate about what I do. And Josh and I, we work our asses off. Um, I, I think that... You guys if, do? I thought you just like <laughs> didn't do anything. Just money showed up in your bank account. But, but you know, and, and the other thing too, I think people get caught up with passion. They think, oh, well, I want, I'm going to find this one thing that I love to do and then I'm going to make money from it. So this is the Mark Cuban quote mm-hmm. of don't follow your passion, follow your effort. Mm-hmm. Because what you might be passionate about may not be a good business opportunity, right. may not be a business opportunity at all. And I think we see that a lot in the culture that we live in now where people are really passionate about taking great photos, building up a presence on social media. Those things may not be businesses. So you may be passionate about it. They may be a hobby, but it's not something that's actually going to be something you put effort toward that brings you value monetarily, which helps sustain the rest of your life probably. Right. I think the world doesn't need any more writers or photographers uh, unless you feel like this is something I really need to be doing. And the reason I say it that way is because a lot of people say, well, I see other people writing, so I think I'm going to do that. In fact, Matt Diavella, our our shared friend, at first he was like, well, I guess I see other people starting a blog. I should start a blog. Could you imagine if he was still writing? (laughs) It would be a bummer. We'd miss out on so much of what he's done. Right. And and he he said, I... I realize I have this this talent, but also he has a skill set that he has he has developed. He has cultivated a passion for it, and if he were just a, well, everyone else is writing and taking photos. I guess I should write and take photos. It doesn't mean I'm saying you shouldn't be a photographer. 
No, but if you're doing it because other people are doing it, it's probably the wrong thing to be doing. Yeah, it's like you don't want to look at you don't want to look at a writer and be like, "Oh yeah, the writing life. That sounds really <laughs> good. I want to have the life of a writer." You probably like, don't. Right, you know, right. I mean, you actually look at it and not what's presented on social media per se. Mm-hmm. You know, like watch an interview with Stephen King. And you'll see what the life of a writer is. It's mm-hmm. writing, you know, whatever he tries to write every single day, 60 pages a day or whatever it is. Yeah. And you realize like, oh, that's a lot of sitting in the chair doing the work. Mm-hmm. That yeah. doesn't seem fun. I want to like go on adventures. <laughs> and I do like, okay, well, then you probably don't want to be a writer. So right. you need to figure out what that looks like for you. Yeah. yeah. Kenny says, what advice might I give my first year undergrad students as they start out life on their own for the first time with fewer pre-existing material-based lifestyle habits to rethink? What does minimalism look like in college when making many decisions that can have lasting effects on what our adult lives will look like? I mean, I think that the first thing I would tell Kenny here is you have a bunch of minimalists that don't realize they're they're minimalists in many respects. And here, here's what I mean. It, they're not minimalists in the sense that it's probably not intentional, but um, you, you're these, these kids, these students, these young adults, 10 years from now are going to look back. And I, the reason I know this is I can't say how many times the same exact story has been told to me while we're on the road. It's probably the most, it's the most prevalent story out of all the stories that are told to us. It's, I remember when my life was so simple. Mm. When I was in college, mm-hmm. everything I own fit into my tiny two-door car. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could just get back to that. And I'm like... You could. You can do that right now. There right. are people who, I mean, Ryan and I, we, we met a family in uh, in Australia. They have six kids? Yeah. And they were traveling around in an RV with six kids. That's amazing. Everything they owned as a family of eight all fit on, on this RV. And, and so, like, is it possible? Yeah. Is it more difficult for someone like that? Of course it is. But... The reason it's more difficult is because it's also more meaningful at the same time. You're creating a different experience. And so I think helping these young adults understand you're living in a time right now where you're actually going to look back at this and be really grateful. And you're actually going to yearn for a time like this. Mm-hmm. Here's what you can do, though. You can carry this forward. You don't have to. You don't have to submit to the to the status quo. Yeah, I was gonna say test all of the assumptions all of the time. Mm. Because as you get older, it becomes much harder to test assumptions because they have more repercussions. Right. But when you're younger, and this is why I did my I Wear Your Shirt project when I did it, I wasn't married, I didn't have kids, no one depended on me. If it failed, I was the only one who had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And when you're in college, I mean, no one depends on you for the most part. And in that case, it's so great to be able to go, well, what do I wanna do for a living? What do I wanna do with my life? Do I wanna write? Do I I want to be someone who goes on adventures. Do I want to be a yoga teacher? Do you want to experience any of these things? Let me try them all. Let me test every assumption I have and not go, okay, I should probably buy a house, get a nine to five job that's somewhat close to it. Probably get a car that fits a full family because I'm eventually going to have a family. Uh, I need to start a 401k because I got to save money. It's like, why don't you not do any of that and figure out what matters to you Mm. and then build a life that feels good to you and then take care of some of the basic stuff, but also go, let me just do everything my own way. I love that, man. Like fail as much as possible. This is the time to fail. The other thing I'll say, man, I really, really wish that my first year of undergrad school, which I think I started when I was 25 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I really wish that uh, my, my, my teachers would have, have really reinforced to stay out of debt. 
Like yeah. debt is crippling. And it's kind of difficult because with an undergrad, first year undergrad, they're probably already in debt at that point. But they can with, stop right now. You can yeah. cut it off. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. So it's like, yeah, um, you, you, I would present this to a, uh, a class of first year undergrads and say, I know a lot of you are in debt right now. Make this your only debt that you have. Do not take on any more debt because no debt is freedom. I have oh. never felt, I just became debt free for the first time in like, I think it was 2016. And uh, it, it took a lot to get there. I don't want to undermine how difficult it is to live a debt-free life. But I'll tell you, like, I have never felt more free yep. than, than when I was carrying a bunch of debt. And, yeah, some debts are better than others. And we can argue, you know, about, you know, debts with you could borrow from the bank for 1% interest and put it in the stock market. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Like, I, I'm talking about, by and large, living a debt-free life, you are going to feel much more free than if you're carrying debt. Because, because even if there's a, a rational reason to take on debt, there's still a psychological cost to it. Yeah. I was going to say that the trouble with the, not to single Kenny out, but I think the Kennys of the world who are teaching these students are in debt. Mm, yeah. So right. it's really hard for them to go. I mean, I guess maybe it's easier for them to go, don't get in debt. Like, right. You know, like yeah. I'm, I've carried this for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Learn from my mistakes. Learn from my mistakes. Yeah. Also, there's a book coming out. We're going to have Anthony O'Neill back on the podcast. Mm -hmm. One of our favorite money people. Uh, he's on Dave Ramsey's team, and he has a book coming out called Debt-Free Degree. I love it, man. Nice. Because how often do we get asked where people are like, well, I want to go to college, and I need to go into debt. And it's like, no, no, no. Yeah. Th that is what we're conditioned to yeah. think. But you do not have to go into debt. Or at least, the very least, you don't have to go into debt as much as you, we have been conditioned to think yeah. we have to go into debt. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Aggie asks, how do you... This This comes up like on half of the Ask the Minimalist Anything. Um so I can just go back and listen to old episodes, but not really. I'll, I'll give you an answer, but we have Jason here as well. Uh, how do you organize your curated photos? Two things. Number one, go to theminimalists.com slash scanning. So Ryan and I had a scanning party for our physical photos. Mm -hmm. That said... Um, Wait, they have photos? They're not a minimalist. <laughs> <laughs> can we remove them from the true <laughs> fan tier? <laughs> I, I, I bought a Blackberry recently because I'm trying to go back to a, not a dumb phone, but like a... Weird flex, what, but all right. What, yeah. what, what do we call it? Like a, uh, a responsible phone? Yeah. Um, oh. And um, uh, I was having a conversation with Ryan Holiday on here about it, and I forget what he called it. Do you remember, Sean, what he what he was calling it? Um, anyway, uh, I, I'm... I'm I tried to buy one of the black because Blackberries they used to, used to have be able to get one without a camera. Yeah. I was even trying to get one without a camera just to see if I could go without it, but mm -hmm. like it didn't it didn't work out. But anyway, um, I, I, and I'll give you two little maxims that have helped me out. The easiest way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. I think mm -hmm. the same is true with your photos. The easiest way to organize most of your photos to get rid of most of them, uh, and then um, but that's a lot of work, man. We give simple advice, but simple ain't easy. Going through and getting rid of most of your photos, I do that yeah. quite often because yeah, I'll take a picture and then it's like, oh, my thumb was in front of it, so I'll take another picture. And like you end up with these duplicates and it's like you've got to do the work to go through and get rid of as much as you can. So, Which yeah. brings me to a, a, a second apothem here and that is uh, the fastest way to organize is to not bring it in your life in yeah. the first place. Yeah. Take as little as photos as possible. Yeah. 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 And you, you were talking about this. We were recording the podcast together, Jason, you were talking about how like, uh, life was, you realize something was wrong when you're like taking, I need to take 10 photos to be the absolute perfect photo. And I learned this, uh, this photography tip from, 
a friend of ours, uh, Adam, who took a lot of our initial photographs for the website. We keep trying uh, to bring him out to take more photos, but... Yeah, he has four kids. He's got a, a family and a job and stuff. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, he uh, had moved to analog for a period of time, not because it was more beautiful or whatever because it forced him to be more intentional mm. and so even when he switched back to digital he carried forward the habits of i take only one photo of the thing i'm trying to take a photo of so if i want to take a photo of this glass i'm going to snap one photo and then i'm done because that's it i i i, I set up this creative limitation and if that means my oh crap my thumb was in the photo then so be it it's yeah. just a photo it's probably Dude, not that the important. worst is when like i don't know how this happens but my camera will accidentally get switched to like sport mode or burst mode <laughs> and it's you get, like 20 <laughs> yeah i'm like why <laughs> anyway yeah but yeah it's it's so much more meaningful to like it makes me think of uh napoleon dynamite when that girl's taking the glamour shot picture do you remember that scene <laughs> no. and she like sets up this beautiful picture and like it's all this build up and she's just like goes in front of the camera and she's like click <laughs> yeah that's really nice that's it. <laughs> it is a really weird time to be alive though where you can take so many more photos mm -hmm. and you couldn't like you'd have to buy multiple cameras to take more photos years yeah. ago like even in our youth and i i just I find it difficult to not take more photos when I don't think they're good enough. And I think that's a human nature thing because we want to show ourselves. We talked about aesthetics, like we want to show a good aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said for, there's a little bit of a shift. And I think we see this with like Instagram stories where imperfection is actually what some people are starting to look for because we've kind of gotten tired of the over perfection of photos yeah and i kind of like it like i'm preferring even just like at instagram as an example i like stories more than i like posts because mm. i feel like i don't have to be perfect in the stories like it can be like a double chimp you know like because yeah. it's funny then i can throw a little sticker on it and it's silly and it's goofy and it's ephemeral it it's goes more away. real too it doesn't last and yeah. it doesn't make me feel like oh i think back to that photo i took like 20 of those to have that photo or i was just in an argument with my wife in that photo but I'm smiling and that carries the weight of something that was happening behind the scenes which mm -hmm. is no fun so yeah. I don't know I just maybe it's a little bit of like lean into the ephemeralness of some of this and just go it doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have to be you know posed and beautiful yeah. Ryan and I went to the the stall house recently Are you familiar I with saw the... Ryan's photos of it actually yeah. <laughs> and it was gorgeous and I was like wow Ryan really upgraded <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny too because I posted that and people were like this is where millions of dollars in minimalism intersect. It's like, first off, it's in LA, so anything you buy is going to cost millions of dollars. But second off, like to actually build that house on a flat piece of property, not close to a million. Well, maybe close to a million, but like it's not. No, a, it's, not, not it's not even a million bucks to build that piece of property. No, build and that for house. them, you know, the, uh, we're actually talking thirteen thousand five hundred dollars is what the land cost. Um, yeah, and, and then I think it was just uh, over one hundred sixty thousand to build the house. Right. So. so um, no, you're actually wrong. Now, is the house worth north of $15 yeah. million now? Yeah, but that's... Because it's a piece of art now. Right. I mean, they're, yeah. they're Jeff Koons balloon art that are worth $90 million, too. <laughs> I mean, would I, would I, I wouldn't pay that. Um, my, my whole point was, like, I went there, and this isn't judging Ryan for doing what he did uh, and taking or Bex, photos. Yeah. Or, yeah, uh, or, yeah, or any, everyone else there. But, like, mm -hmm. I decided I'm going to take one photo when I'm here, and then some guy got in the way as I took the photo and I'm like oh there's my one photo so I yeah. have a guy like crouched down <laughs> yeah. and, like, and that was it um, and it takes a certain amount of discipline and I think one way to, to inject that discipline in everyday life is to not bring the phone with you and mm -hmm. so sometimes it's okay to not 
take a photo. It's funny because I was trying not to take any photos when mm-hmm. I first got there. Even the guy, like before we walked in, you don't really get to see the house. You just get to see the outside. And the outside is like, it's pretty banal. Like it, yeah. there's nothing spectacular about the, yeah, outside, the street outside of it. Outside, right? Yeah, it's very unassuming. So uh, before we even went in, uh, Scott, was that his name? Yeah. Yeah, Scott was like, all right. He's like, uh, we're going we're gonna to walk through this door. And he's like, you're going to get a chance to take a photo. And no one is to pass a certain line until you get the photos because I want everyone to get like a photo without people in it. And I'm like, why does this guy think I'm going to want to take a photo? Yeah. Like this is so like what, I'm not going to take any photos. And as soon as I walked in, I was like, oh, <laughs> burst like mode. this is <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I mean, I, I, I took I don't know how many photos. I took, but my, the point being is, is that there are beautiful moments in life that I will without exception take a moment to appreciate and take something physical to to remember that and i think a photo is probably the least intrusive physical thing that i can bring into my life and i gotta tell you i have went back to those photos i have taken several times just to look at the beauty of that house so i, I mean i think that is really what when it comes down to photos is that what is your intention behind the photo are you trying to prove a point are you trying to show status are you which again People on Instagram, I got comments where they were like, they were assuming it was a status thing. And it's like, no, this is actually a beautiful piece of art that I want to share and that I'm really, really grateful that I got to experience. And I want you to experience it. I want them to experience it enough to where someone on the uh, uh, commented, they're like, is this available for tour? I'm like, yes, it is. And I think you should go to this house and tour the house. It's freaking amazing. Yeah. And you don't have to, I think the beautiful thing about that, Ryan, is you taking a photo of it. You don't have to consume the place you don't have to own the place in mm. order to appreciate it right? right you can show up and and whether or not you take photos and that's where people who are making the snide comments the judgmental comments they, they don't really understand what what your intention was because what you're trying to say is look here's a piece of art mm-hmm. just like a picasso painting i don't have to own the picasso painting in order to appreciate it and and the same is true the reason i don't take photos at places like that is uh there's no way i will I will do it just the same way Julius Shulman would do it justice. Mm. Uh, and in fact, I have a Julius Shulman book of the Stallhouse. So like, I, I don't need. So you'll ne- So you couldn't take a picture as perfect as Julia, Julian, Julius, Julius, yeah, Stallman. <laughs> What's his last name? Shulman. Who is this Shulman. Julius yeah. Shulman. So because you won't, you can't take a perfect picture. You you wouldn't want to. Dis, do him a disservice for the perfect pictures that he's taken no he he's an artist and he hasn't t- i don't think he took p- perfect pictures in fact scott talked about how the he when they went to go find the archives of the of julius's photos yeah. like we're looking for the hundreds of photos no he took 18 photos right. of the house now he spent hours yeah staging uh-huh and creating a frame yeah. right and so what that girl did in napoleon dynamite yeah exactly. julia shulman yeah. Did I get it right? Close enough, yeah. Julia Shulman did a very, a very, a very similar thing where it's like, yeah, he like set it up and then he walked up to his camera and he was like, click. Yep, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it be, because there was all this intentionality. And my point, like, so when uh, Bax and I, we went to Sedona earlier this year and um, like, I, I walked away without any photos of, of the place. And and I realized this when I got back, and Ryan said, "Show me a photo of the place." Cause I was really talking it up, and I'm like, "All right, cool." I pull out my phone, mm-hmm. and I googled the place we were staying <laughs> at, and they had the most gorgeous photos. Not yeah. gonna do better. I I, yeah. I personally, because I'm not a photographer, uh, I. I I couldn't have have done better. That doesn't mean there isn't something to be said, especially when you're injecting yourself into the photo. I think that's that's often the best time to do it is if if you're taking a, a picture of you and your significant other 
and you're marking the occasion, you can't replicate that with a Google image search. Right. And so it makes sense to do that. Anyway, yeah. we're, we're over on time. Uh, yeah, right. Not yet. <laughs> uh, and we do have one, one more quick question here. Emily says, how do you make space for meaningful interactions with others instead of falling back on pacifiers, particularly after an, ex an exhausting work day? Emily, you got to get rid of all your pacifiers as much as, as you can. If you got to get rid of internet, get rid of internet. Like what is stopping you from having meaningful interactions? Is it surfing YouTube? Well then, get rid of YouTube. Yeah, like that. I mean, honestly, that is that's the easy answer. And again, or I, I should, that's a simple answer. Simple isn't easy. Yeah, um, it's hard to get rid of those pacifiers. But if you want to force yourself to deal with boredom, to go out and have interactions, meaningful interactions with with other people, then get rid of your pacifiers as much as you can. The question I often ask is, what's wrong with the pacifier? Mm. And usually there are a lot of answers. There's a lot wrong with this pacifier. And that's when I try to remove it from my, from my life. Sometimes there are rare exceptions where a pacifier is the best thing for me to do, especially with the health struggles I've had this year. There are times where in order to stop ruminating about the pain, the severe pain that I've been in, the best thing for me to do is to actually bring in a, a pacifier in a way where it could be a, watching a Netflix comedy special. It could be, it, it's something that is pacifying in a way. It's spending my time instead of investing it because I'm trying to get my mind off of something that is painful. But generally, pacifiers are, are bad. And uh, the thing I, that we talked to Alex Benayan about is figuring out how you can invest your time instead of spending your time and it seems sounds to me jason that emily is trying to uh, when she gets gets home she's like i just need a way to spend my time and and she's not doing something more meaningful how do, how would you encourage her to, to work towards something more meaningful she might also be like my wife who is an introvert and naturally gets her battery drained quickly and so she needs to recharge her battery so that becomes finding what's the healthy way to do that for you mm -hmm. and that may be meditation maybe it's yoga maybe it's reading a book maybe it's just sitting on the couch and doing some art on your ipad like it, it could be vegging on netflix really like it could be whatever it is that yeah. you need but you also have to be intentional right. if it is vegging on netflix tell your yourself I get an hour of Netflix right. don't let it keep cycling through all the new episodes and through all the things and I think that's where you just know yourself what you need as opposed to just going well let me just grab my phone because I have like a dull moment and it's like right. no I'm actually exhausted from the day I know that I need to recharge my battery so I can show up as my best self this is my wife talking through me just so you know <laughs> and you need those things and you understand those things about yourself not mm -hmm. just going well let me just hop on my phone because I'm bored it's no I, I actually need to recharge the life battery dude I'm so excited we are moving Moving to a new apartment Ooh. and uh, is this is why we haven't house? done a house no <laughs> this is why we have done the house tour because I have not really found a home in LA mm. uh, I, I hope this is it I mean so far so good but uh we so we have internet at our current place at our um, like at our like personal in our apartment the new place we're going they have internet in all the common areas that's free so like I am now gonna once again go internet free oh, nice. at our house and Mariah like it, no I mean Mariah if you're listening to this I love you so much. <laughs> She's not a true fan. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you she is. <laughs> but no man I, I oh that's a circumcision joke. <laughs> she that's is a coder, so like she is she's doing a lot of online like coding stuff and. She does need the internet to do that. So I have, we have brought internet into our house because of what she does. But now, like she has a space she can go to. 
uh, and, and use the internet. So we're like, we're totally, I'm, I'm just, yeah, tr- not trying to blame her for having internet, but pretty much that's the reason why we have internet. No, I'm the same <laughs> way. I wouldn't have home internet if it weren't for Bax and Ella. There's um, no way I'd have home internet. Yeah. I think, it, I think home internet is, and Ryan and I, so I went without home internet for five years, I think we wrote about this. Like, like, I think the essay was killing the killing the internet at home was the most productive thing I've ever done. And it was true. It was not hyperbole. Um, and that was on the back of several different experiments. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, because this is exactly what Emily's talking about with the pacifiers. Right. It was, I got rid of my, my television, which was a pacifier. I got rid of my internet at home, which I didn't realize was a pacifier at first, but then I realized very, oh yeah, it absolutely is. And then I, I uh, got rid of my, phone altogether and man you realize and then i had to talk him out of hanging himself <laughs> well, yeah, i think you have to know who you are right so if you yeah. know that you get addicted to things quickly or you fall into those traps mm-hmm. you have to change like for me that's exactly it, i'm man. extremely disciplined so like i watch tv for maybe an hour a night and i go on youtube for 12 minutes a day to watch while i'm eating lunch yeah but the rest of the time i have blocked off on my calendar and i follow it in a regimen but that's because that's who I am. Yes, there's right? nothing my wrong wife with, is not that way. There's she nothing wrong with TV. Way. There's nothing wrong with internet. There's nothing wrong with Netflix. I'm the problem. Exactly. It's not those things that are yeah. the problem. Yeah. And when you <clears throat> can figure out the way that you can work around those obstacles, that's when it becomes really powerful because you go, if I don't have internet at home, I get a lot of things done when I'm not at home. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm at home, I'm present and I'm who I am and I'm who I want to be. And I think that takes some self-discovery and it took you how many years to figure that out? So for Emily, it may not be a quick answer, just like everything else you guys and we talk about. That's okay. So yeah. you just start small and you just see where it takes you. Yeah. All right, y'all. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter. Check out Jason Zook. His new book is Own Your Weird. Jason, thank you for being here for this. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Ryan, put your pants back on now. Thank you, true fans. (laughs) Thanks for letting me be with you guys with my pants off. All right, y'all. Love people use pants. Pants? (laughs) (laughs) The opposite never... All right, see you later. (laughs) The Minimalists.